Welcome to Elaine's Kitchen Table. This is where we share tips about business and parenting. Being a mom of three, CEO of the award-winning company Easy Daisy's speaker and educator, you're going to learn the tips and secrets of successful and incredible people. Elaine wants you to be inspired, challenged, and motivated, and that person you want your kids to grow up to be. This is Real Talk for Real Life. Hi, welcome to Lane's Kitchen Table, where we talk about how to create better, how to create better family, health, business, and self. And oh my goodness, if you are someone who who has a, an online course, I am so sure that you have heard of Thinkific. Thinkific is a, a platform, a place where you can create, market, and sell your online courses and so easily and i am thrilled and excited that my guest today is the co-founder of thinking thinkific miranda levers is a vancouver based entrepreneur and angel investor she is a mom of two adorable boys a mentor for women in business she's co-founded and built a tech company thinkific achieving a one billion dollar unicorn status in 2021 wow 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 she has helped over 50,000 successful businesses grow and she has raised over 200 million from investors. She's jumped ship from public company life back to small business, not once, but twice. And I cannot wait to share this inspiring woman with you. I want to say welcome, welcome, Miranda. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about this conversation and uh, getting to spend this time together. I love it. I think the last time we were together, we were eating at a restaurant and I loved that. I loved how we met as well. We met because we were both keynotes at a, at a women's business conference. And I love that we were sitting next to each other. So our path, I love it. And I hope that our paths keep crossing. Me too. You are incredible. Like you are so humble and just a giver, like off, offline or chatting. You were just like, asking how I was doing because you remembered, you know, my ups and downs and that is who you are. Someone who is just so, can I appreciate that Miranda? Now you have to tell us your story. I'm just going to jump right into it. Like you, like how, what, what, like you didn't just, I, I know that you have quite a journey and you've worn different hats. So tell our listeners right now, like you didn't just like say, Hey, I wake up and I just, I woke up and I just discovered I'm going to create this um, billion dollar company. How did you get there? Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. So I will tell the story. I will try to be as fast as possible because I know <laughs> that we've got lots to talk about today. Um, but like many entrepreneurs, I like to say that I have been an entrepreneur since I was seven or eight years old. Now I was not a good entrepreneur when I was seven or eight years old, but I remember the very first time that I set up a craft stand at the end of my driveway on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere in Northern Alberta. So nobody was driving down that road so it wasn't great for business but if they did I was there and ready to hustle location location location. (laughs) yeah it's like so that was my first entrepreneurial pursuit um but the first were you selling what were you selling uh crafts like I I don't know stuff I made yeah love it 
Um, and so that was, you know, that was really my first entrepreneurial, uh, pursuit. I am the daughter and granddaughter of, uh, entrepreneurs like farmers and beekeepers, which is really, you know, people who were self-made rolled up sleeves, not afraid of hard work. And that combined with the fact that my dad actually, uh, went and got a computer science degree uh, starting in 1988. So when I was just a kid, um, but we were then exposed to technology and online and with a computer in the house before the internet even had a graphical interface. So at that point, at that point, wow. the internet was command line text, but it meant that I was exposed to technology really early on. So surprise, surprise, when I was a teenager, my businesses at that point were things like like in-home computer repair or web design and those kinds of things where really, again, stretching the entrepreneurial muscles, but also in the space of technology. Yes, almost so. <laughs> ahead of the game too. Yeah. And so fast forward um, and I kind of ping pong between technology and small business. And uh, I spent time building and scaling the tech support teams at TELUS, which is a large telecommunications company. Uh, I like to say I started when we were a team of 40 doing dial up internet support. And then we rolled out high speed internet. Turned out that was a bit of a thing. And so we <laughs> scaled really quickly. to so about. I'm happy for that. I still remember right? the dial tone. Yeah. Um, and so we scaled to a team of about 1600. And so today that company is known as a technology company, but at the time was really not a technology company. And so all of the infrastructure uh, didn't exist for anybody to grow and scale that quickly. And we really were operating like a funded startup. We never had to worry about how to pay the bills, but we had to move really quickly in order to support this rapid adoption of high-speed internet I uh, jump ship from there. It was my first jump ship from a leadership role in a public company uh, to help my very right brain creative artist husband as he had um, started. Well, I like to, we like to say it's like I built him a photography studio. So at the time he did photography or uh, wanted to do photography and I built him a business around that. I joke that I did that too well because I was able to leave my director level role from a public company and go do photography with him. And actually, wow. uh, you know, that was uh, more economically feasible for us. And then we got to live this really cool life where our clients were flying us around the globe to go photograph them and their families and their celebrations uh, and had a lot of fun building that small business. Was that pre-kids then? That was pre-kids. Yeah. So great. And, yeah. So great. And uh and folks would always tell me, because I because I would do that. And at the same time, I was speaking and teaching a fair bit, especially in the photographer spaces, uh, about how to build business, how to grow business, how to use wow, technology in the internet with that. Um, and folks would always tell me that uh, I should consult. And the thing that I learned very early on and, and just knew is that small businesses do not know that they need consultants, cannot afford consultants. And even when those things are true, they only have two hands meaning they can only do so much um, with the knowledge that they have. And that was sort of the framework against which uh, I started Thinkific. Now, one thing I remember when we were having our, our meal together, when we first met at that speaking conference, there's one thing you said, and I just love that you said it. You said that you dream about business plans when you, when you go to bed and you kind of love it. 
I kind of love that. I love your brain so much. Like you're always thinking of, of how to make something better and improve it. And that is, that is Miranda Levers. Mm-hmm. I, I, I won't deny that. <laughs> it's fair. I am. Um, the thing that I love about small business and why small business and, and, and even why Thinkific really just comes down to, I'm infatuated by people who are passionate about something. And when somebody is passionate about something so deeply, often we turn it into, or we need to turn it into our livelihoods. Uh, but, you know, and that means like, how do we create a business and a business model around the thing that we love to do? And I love business and business models. So that's a really good pairing and that ability to help people figure out like how do they take what they love and turn it into what they do and to do that in a way that can continue to grow and serve them and their families and their customers, but like also allow them to bring their unique genius and brilliance out into the world. Okay. Then you launched Thinkific, like slowly but surely. And then it became this beast of a company. And how did you choose to step out? Oh my gosh. Okay. So yeah. So just really quickly, the sort of Thinkific story. Um, I was sitting in that space of trying to figure out how to serve small business. uh, And that was when I met my Mm co-founders and uh, they had started building the software that was Thinkific, but not yet a self-serve platform. So you couldn't yet sign up and get going on your own. But I saw in what they were starting to build the opportunity to serve this community of entrepreneurs that I so deeply cared about in a way that would help guide them around business uh, and give them an extra set of hands because it would tech enable what they were doing. And so that was nine years ago. I think we were still just four of us sitting around a table. How did you find them? Like, how did you find these co Um, Yeah, good question. Actually, uh, my co-founder, Greg, um, CEO of Thinkific, he found me on like a website called AngelList, which is a place to connect uh, early stage businesses. And so he found my profile on AngelList and reached out. uh, And then we just started talking and I got excited about what they were, what they were starting to build and, and, you know, thought it's like, ah, you know, I can, I can dive into this for a while. Let's see where it goes. That is very cool. So angel is, is that um, like angel investor? Yeah. So yeah, it still exists. um, And uh, predominantly for tech and especially for finding, if you're trying to find a job or a role or co-founders in a very early stage startup, uh, that would be the place to go. Incredible. Uh, and yeah, and then they do, at the time they didn't do angel investment in Canada, but I think that they do that now here as well um, as the US. Amazing. I love that. So you were part of it and then you chose, okay, I'm good. Yeah. And, and, and a pretty like wild journey in between. So we went from four of us sitting around a table. We grew at our peak, we were about 500 employees. Um, we took the company public on the Toronto Stock Exchange two years ago, uh, had all sorts of fun doing that. Uh, you mentioned early in the bio, you know, raised a couple hundred million dollars from investors and um, got to share the story with so many people. Vic at this point has served over 50,000 active course creators are active today on the platform. Uh, over uh, well over 100 million students have taken courses on Thinkific. Uh, and, you know, fast forward to kind of present day and the recognition that 
like I'm deeply proud of everything that we've done at Thinkific and what Thinkific will continue to do. But recognizing my strength and my sweet spot is in zero to one. <laughs> and so I could stay there and I could continue to sort of hold a job within Thinkific. But what I think that I am best at and what really lights me up is in early stage and really figuring out how to build something that doesn't yet exist. And I know that the company is in good hands. And so um, so a couple months ago, okay. I stepped away. Yeah, so you're definitely a, a creator and a builder. And then you create and build and then and then repeat. <laughs> and then repeat. And repeat. I love that so much. Now, because you have had so many different, I want to say, hands in different uh, businesses from smaller to larger, I'm going to ask, do you have a best tip for growing business? Because I, I know that you envision it and you make it happen. So if my listeners are going, okay, well, how? <laughs> it sounds so easy, but it's not. How do you do yeah, this? What is one tip for growing your business? Yeah. One tip is about building feedback loops uh, inside and outside your business and put them on autopilot because it's really easy, especially again, like we only have like one set of hands. So it's really easy to do the right thing one time, but six months later, we actually need to do the thing again or 12 months later and, you know, 18 months after after that. And so what I love is building feedback loops into our companies uh, and ensuring that they're on autopilot so that they continue to remind us of um, what we're really here to do, which is uh, let's listen to, to our customers, to our teams, to our data. Let's iterate on uh, what we're hearing as the biggest opportunities. Let's communicate what we did and let's repeat it. And it's really, really simple. Um, to do that uh, in practice, like in theory, it's really like, what harder. does this mean? This harder yeah, yeah. And so, really, I believe that uh, as leaders, we don't have the answers. We almost never have the answers. The more that we understand that we don't have the answers, the faster we'll go. Uh, but that means that we need to put in place mechanisms to get the answers and to hear the feedback and the insights that will lead us to what needs to happen next. Let me give an example yes. of what that looks like with a team. Okay. Um, but the same goes for uh, for Solo entrepreneurs. And yeah. And so, um, so a good example of a feedback loop that we implemented early on with Thinkific with our team was we did these quarterly engagement surveys. And that wasn't, I didn't care about sort of the, the one to 10 rankings or what have you that our team would give us that could go on a slide. I cared about open-ended questions of just asking what's working really well so we don't break it, <laughs> what could be better so we can fix it, and what should we stop doing because it's just not serving us. And doing those surveys on a reliable drumbeat every quarter. And so, for example, early on, our team told us that they wanted to have regular formal performance feedback. I did not love wow. performance feedback, but I'm like, okay, cool. Like, the team has said that they want to have regular performance reviews. So we introduced annual performance reviews. And then our team told us, actually, we want to have more frequent performance reviews. So we went to six months. The team told us we want to have more frequent perform regular performance reviews. This is on top of monthly one-on-ones. Like these, it's like, okay. So again, 
like as leaders, we don't have the answers. You just got to listen for the answers. So the teams told us more regular. We introduced quarterly performance reviews and then we got mixed feedback. So then the feedback was half like, yes, like this is so good. And half like, whoa, all we're doing is performance reviews. And so then we dialed back. And so that is an example of how that rhythm has changed in Thinkific over the last six years, because that most recent change of dialing back to, you know, every, you know, three times a year was just over this last year and in the most recent cycle. But it's just that idea of let's create a mechanism to listen so that we can understand what the top priorities or friction points or opportunities are within our business. Let's communicate back to our team that we heard them and that this is what we're going to do to just try to make it better. We're never going to make things perfect. Our goal is just, can we make it better? And then, you know, continue to like iterate and repeat. And when we do that both inside with our team, our team feels engaged, like they're absolutely, and they absolutely are a part of building what this culture is and what this is so great. Yeah. Nobody is just sort of dictating how it's done here. It's like, no, let's figure this out together. Uh, And we continue to evolve in a way that everyone is a part of. And the same goes for our customers and creating mechanisms to hear, especially what the biggest friction points are. And it's not that we're trying to just do everything that we're everyone is telling us to do. It's not that it's listening for opportunities and listening for what really isn't working because that is where the magic is. I love that so much. Listening for the opportunities and listening to what doesn't work. I I love that. I was, you answered my question because I was going to say, well, can you take the same framework and put it to your, your customers, whether it's a service product or, or a physical product, you do want to get that feedback from them. So I I guess that would be like checking in with not just your direct to consumer, but if if it was a product base, like I have to your retailers and resellers as well. Yeah. And the key to make it sustainable is set up the system one time and have it enduring. So for example, with your customers, it could be a post-purchase survey that just automatically goes out at X amount of time after purchase. Um, if it's if you're a service-based business, like where you know it can be it can be post-purchase. You might also introduce listening feedback like mechanism where if somebody cancels, they're automatically getting a like getting that cancellation survey. Those kinds of things because it's the same amount of effort to go out and do it one time as it is to go and set it up to be automated. But the beauty of it being automated is that six months later, when you're like, oh, like, I wonder what's going on here. Um, you already have the data. So it's like, so then you can. Okay. I love that so much because at the same time, then you're also collecting testimonials at the same yes. time. There is so much going on, so much learning and learning equates to growing. And I love that. I love it. So good. We can almost end it here, but I'm not going to. (laughs) Miranda, you are awesome. Now, I I know that, you know, people look at you and say, oh, she's so successful. Like, how did she do it? It looks so easy for her. But, you know, there's a saying that says, you know, tough times never last, but tough people do. And is there a hardship that you faced along this journey? And, And how did you rise from it? Oh, so many. Um, I I came up with what I want to share one that's a bit cheating. I feel like it's a bit cheating, but I'm going to share it anyway um, because it actually was the foundation for one of the biggest lessons that I ever could have learned. And so this goes back to my days as a photographer. And we had um, one year in what year was that? Like twenty? Eh, 
2018, maybe something like that. Um, Pre-COVID, okay. Like, I don't know. No, no, 2008. I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> 2008. Um, yeah, that's, there we go. Uh, we had a whole summer of weddings booked, um, probably 40 weddings. Oh and God. in the spring of that year, we, in May, we had three weddings booked in Cuba. And so wow. we were going to get to spend the whole month of May in Cuba, uh, traveling around the country for these three weddings. And so three days after we arrived, I tripped on the beach and I broke my leg and I destroyed every ligament in my knee. So those of you, so it's like ACL, MCL, LCL, PCL, patella ligament, and I broke my tibia in two. Like this on the is beach. A, you tripped on the beach. I tripped on the beach. I kid you not. Um, and so, uh, so it was a whole thing. And so then I had to get like evacuated to Canada. My husband stayed, I made him stay. Cause of course he had to photograph the first wedding. And then we were able to send another photographer to join him oh for the God. other ones. I spent like a week in the hospital. It was a whole crazy thing, but that kicked off what would become three years of reconstructive surgeries, uh, and rehab. What? And I spent like that year, I spent, I think six months in a wheelchair this year, that year. Cause I not only couldn't be on it, but I had to keep it elevated. Like it was like, it was a whole thing. And so naturally as a photographer, I remember after I'd flown back to Canada and I'm sitting in the hospital and I'm sitting in my bed sobbing and the nurse came in, of course, trying to, you know, determine if my pain meds were good. And it's like, no, this isn't about my pain levels because I'm doing the math and I'm thinking like, we're going to lose everything. We're going to lose our house. We're going to have to move. Like in my head, it's like, we're going to lose the entire business if I can't photograph and we're going to end up living in my parents' basement, having to move back to Alberta. Like that's what's running through my head. Um, and, uh, and I feel like many of you already know how this story ended, but what an incredible gift to have the opportunity to be forced to work on my business instead of mm -hmm. in my business, mm -hmm. because that was the start of some of the very best years for our right. company. We would go on to be named one of the top 10 photographers in the country. We would go on to be named the best of Vancouver, I think three or four years in a row um, locally. Like we, our, our revenue shot up, everything shot up. Because instead of just being the one holding the camera, mm -hmm. I was the one that then was able to uh, do everything else to build and grow that business. I love that. And, you know, just taking your lemons and making it an amazing lemonade. And that is incredible. A great reminder that, you know, it shouldn't take an accident to cause you to, to stop and step outside of your business to look at it and work on it. I love it. And that, and that is so important. And, you know, like I'm continually going through that process right now of, okay, stepping out to work on it. And it's, it's an excellent reminder. And how is your leg now? All good? It, it's mostly all good. I can't, I can't run and I can't uh, snowboard and I can't like hike on an even ground, but I can walk. And so that's, uh, more than I might've been able to do if I had done that 20 oh, years prior. So. I am so sorry. I'm still so baffled by that, that how badly you hurt your leg. I'm so sorry. I, I don't even want to know how you tripped it, but I'm so <laughs> sorry you went through that. But as you said, it, uh, a lot of wonderful things arose from that. Wow.
Thank you. Yeah, you are a tough girl for sure. Now, on the same vein then, in business, I know that it isn't like just success after success. And yes, the, the injury caused you to have to think quick so that your husband could still do those uh, weddings in Cuba. But were there some some or a big mistake that happened in any of your businesses that you want to talk about and what you learned from it? Uh, yeah, I think um, one of the like uh, one of the ones with the most clickbaity title, I, we used to call internally like the million dollar cowboy hat. And that referenced what the graph looked like on what ultimately was a million dollar mistake. And this had to do with marketing expenditure in Thinkific um, somewhat in sort of earlier days. uh, This was probably five or six years ago now. But of course, when you're marketing a business, uh, there's like, it's not like you just do marketing. It's like you try things, you, you know, get one channel up and running, you can get that kind of channel working, and then you build another channel, and then you build another channel, and you're constantly searching for what we're going to layer onto this uh, marketing, you know, sort of funnel next, and how do we continue to optimize. Mm-hmm. And Well, we were doing that and we'd been having some really good success and seeing really good growth rates and things were continuing to go up and to the right. And we had uh, raised a little bit of money and so had a little bit more wiggle room and had then been in a position to really start to invest for the first time into paid advertising. And so, uh, and being very data minded, of course, you know, watching the data quite closely and the data was indisputable. We poured money into, into paid ads and like all of the metrics were up like new customer acquisition for less cost than it has ever, ever cost us before. And, uh, and really sort of reinforce the like, okay, like this is working. Like let's keep dumping money into, into this. Uh, and that, of course, was a little bit short-sighted. So two things um, ultimately were happening. Number one is uh, with the focus on this new shiny channel, I feel like it's like the, you know, like when things are too good to be true, like you should probably pay closer attention. Um, but uh, paid ads really was taking off and that meant that we, and it wasn't even a super conscious decision, but we were sort of focusing less on some of the other things that had been working really well. Um, and uh, and we were distracted, I would say, by sort of like a, a less sophisticated view of that full funnel. Because yes, it was true that we were acquiring new customers uh, for a really great, you know, return on ad spend. Uh, But what wasn't true is that they weren't behaving over the long term like our other previous customers. So they just weren't as high quality, meaning that, uh, you know, we were getting signups for for cheap for us, but they weren't converting because we were a freemium model, meaning that we would bring in a a free customer and then they would normally upgrade to pay at a certain percentage of them would upgrade to paid and at different rates. But what we were finding is is that a way smaller percentage of them were actually using the platform and thus a smaller percentage were upgrading. And when they were upgrading, it was at lower rates, uh, et cetera. And then there were also some some nuances where when we had first invested, it part of what made it seem like this was a really lucrative channel is because a lot of it was actually... um, 
our branded uh, our branded search, which means customers that had already visited us. And so um, we're actually quite warm already. When you first turn on paid ads, uh, you basically pull up the slack on, on those customers. So that first wave of, of folks who were signing on uh, did match our customer profile, but that was because our marketing dollars had already brought them in. Uh, and by the time, oops, and by the time that we sort of realized and dialed things back uh, is we had poured about a million dollars into ads, which I, which we eventually did um, recoup, but like, but like over three years, I think when we followed that cohort, it was something like, like, so it was like the worst, it was like the worst um, investment ever, but, uh, you know, ultimately we at least got our money back out of that cohort. Uh, but it was a very expensive lesson. Well, good on you for <laughs> catching it and oh my gosh. noticing it and, and analyzing it. Good on you. And so when you say paid ad spend are you saying google or an all platform like, uh, yeah it would have been facebook and and instagram and and google for the most part wow well yes yeah, see i i love it like we all i have an expensive lesson too mine wasn't a million but mine was like 10k us and and 10k us is is big <laughs> for me that's a lot of money yes and so yes and yeah there are lessons and we learn it's like the most you know expensive learning course <laughs> that you'd go through on your own and you're like oh, darn it okay lesson learned for sure now if so if our listeners asking like if they could take something right now from you and I've already taken so much from you and I know they have too. If you could share three of the best lessons that you learned in your entrepreneurial journey to date, what would you say? Okay, man or woman listening, whoever you are, take this. These are the three things I need to share with you about uh, okay. entrepreneurialism. All right. Um, the first one, most of these will come, I, I, I'm big on story. So the first one is really that it's all about mindset. I mm. used to think that, um, I used to think that it was a lot more tactics and strategy until I realized that it's actually a lot more about mindset and a really quick wow. story about what I mean. Yeah. Um, early on, uh, one of the, the first time that we really raised money for the we had signed a term sheet, uh, which basically just means an agreement that we're going to raise or, or take this money. We had signed in a term sheet in October of 2015. And at that point, really had made the mindset sh shift because we had to make a decision where it's like, okay, we're going to play a bigger game. We are in this for real. Um, and had really leveled up our own thinking about what was possible and, and what did it mean to be running this company. And we signed that term sheet in October of 2015. But because of uh, lawyers and a whole bunch of back and forth, and we we're all trying to be creative with paperwork, uh, we didn't actually get the money from that investment until March of 2016. So it was months before we would actually get the money. Right. But when we look back at the trajectory of the business, the pivot point wasn't in March when we had the money to go out and place bigger bets. The pivot point was in October when the only thing that had changed was our mindset wow. and our decision to play a bigger game. Wow. By the time that we actually deposited that uh, 600K, it was at the time uh, in March of 2016, we didn't need it. 
and never actually touch that money through the history of the company wow. until like post IPO um, because we just never needed it because our like, just leaning in and thinking a bigger game, all of that translated to, to benefit then. And when, and using the same lens going back uh, over, over the different milestones of the company saw the same thing play out over and over again. It wasn't, the benefit of the accelerator that we got into, it was act like, cause it's like the content actually wasn't that relevant. It was what that unlocked in us and how we showed up and how we thought about the business and how we thought about everything to do with growth. Uh, that was actually the impact. So important, very valuable. Like you have to think big to, to get there, right? You're setting that target and then you actually take steps towards that instead of focusing your energy on what if we can get that money and what if we can do this, just, yeah. just go, go and do. Yeah. It's like, yeah. So it's like, it's mindset. Minds, the change was always the mindset. The benefit was always the mindset shift. Um, another one, big lesson uh, is that we need to grow, especially talking about high growth companies is that we need to grow personally and professionally at or ahead of the growth rate of the company. So especially early on, like if your company is growing 50% year over year or doubling year over year, which is not uncommon when we're talking about earlier stage companies, you need to be leveling yourself up uh, at the same rate, (laughs) which is uh, quite intimidating. but, But the reality is, is that what it takes to run a company at, you know, at, whatever it is, let's say it's $500,000 a year uh, and what it takes to run a million dollar company, you know, in a, in a year from then or, or two years is like, it requires more of you, which means that in order to just stand still uh, in your role, you need to be growing at or ahead of the rate of growth of the company. And so uh, that just means you need to be reading, you need to be learning, you need to be seeking mentors, you need to get a coach, you need to get a therapist, you need to <laughs> like, act on feedback and, and I really, feedback and really all of that. Love that because you, if you're the, the captain of the ship, like you better make sure that you are well versed and ready for the direction it's going to go in. And I love that. Get your therapist ready. Have mentors. <laughs> I so appreciate that. I think you're the first person I've ever interviewed or spoke with that said, you know, you need to be personally and professionally ahead of the game of this growth. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Uh, third one. Third, third one, uh, progress, not perfection. Our goal is to not make it perfect, just to make it better. I think that it's easy to get overwhelmed with the never ending list of things that need to be done or the fires that are burning at any given time. But if we try to put them all out, or if we try to, you know, make something, if you, if we try to fix something to be good for the next five years, we're going to spend all of our effort on something that isn't the most uh, important thing. And so the goal is not make it perfect. The goal is just to make things better. I like to think about our to-do lists as entrepreneurs um, in the, it's Warren Buffett has this method that he calls the two list method, which I just adore, which is the idea of you create your list of your top, you know, 25 priorities or whatever it is. And we all can make a list that long uh, and you stack rank them, meaning that you put the most important ones at the top and you go down and you draw a hard black line after number five, which is sort of, you know, you end up with this two lists. And the idea is, is 
you've got five priorities or five, that's your whole to-do list is this top mm. five. And everything below the line is your do not touch at all costs list. Wow. Because if you spend time working on 25 fires, well, in six months, you still have 25 fires and they're probably like all a little bit bigger. But if you instead just recognize like, you know, I can't solve everything. And my goal is not to extinguish the fire. My goal is just to get it out of the top five for a while. (laughs) So it's like, my goal is just, I'm going to just focus on the top five. I know that like, I might not be able to put it out completely, but I need to knock it out of the top five. And maybe let's say like, knock it out of the top 10. Like, it's like, it's like, but just, just make it, get it tamped down enough that it's not one of the most burning things. And then go on to the next thing, because then in six months, you've probably tackled a lot more than, you know, five things that have now moved to being substantially better. And so that's, that's the goal is just make it better, not perfect. Oh my goodness. I've learned so much. I'm like, just like so motivated. I just like, I'm going to go do this. And, you know, when we were talking just before this podcast recording, you said, you know, the biggest thing is just go make a choice. Right. And elaborate more on that, Miranda. It's like, you know, we, we wait and we wait for maybe this perfection, but just go make a choice. Yeah. The bet, like the best decision is just making a decision. Mm -hmm. And, and I say that as the like type a overachiever perfectionist, but what I've learned over and over again, and sometimes I have to relearn it is that it's not about perfect and we don't have time for perfect. We can cripple ourselves and get stuck in indecision and analysis paralysis and Mm -hmm. just trying to make the right decision Mm -hmm. when the only like wrong answer is to do nothing. And so just make a decision. The best decision is just making a decision and move forward, but do it with that curious, iterative growth mindedness that we've talked about a little bit, which is like, you know, we're going to just make it better. We're going to try this. And if it's really not working, then we're going to pivot and we're going to change things and we're going to tweak it to continue to make it better. But you just got to, you got to take action and you got to move. Take action and move. Now, I love that. Now this naturally flows into my next question then. So because you have seen so many entrepreneurs from startup to to not startup, but what are some of those common traps that you see entrepreneurs falling into as they grow their businesses? I know we probably yeah. touched on that already. Yeah. I'm trying to think of ones that I maybe haven't. It's like, how many of my sound bites can I get out here? <laughs> so, <laughs> So um, I think one, uh, especially with when we're talking about solopreneurs and people who are early stage is a common trap is building a job rather than building a business. Mm -hmm. We don't have good language that differentiates being self-employed versus being a business owner. And often we fool ourselves thinking that we've done the thing where we've built a business and that this is going to create, you know, that this is going to help fund our retirement. And like, we're, we're, you know, we really have this asset. And yet if the answer to the question of like, if you don't show up tomorrow, like, let's say you just like, I'm going to put you on a plane and send you off and you're not going to have internet access for let's say two months starting tomorrow. Do you have a business when you come back or not? If the answer is no, then you've built yourself a job and not a business, regardless wow. of how many team members you have. Okay, so, a bite right there. <laughs> like, and so, and and we just need to be aware of this and and be conscious of it. And that's not to say that being self-employed is a bad thing if that's your intent. 
But often I talk to um, folks who are self-employed and that comes with a lot of risk. Like where it's like you, if, if you do get, if you break your leg or like, if, you know, if you do get sick for whatever reason and you can't show up at work the next day, you can be putting yourself under a lot of risk and pressure um, because you are self-employed and yes, you don't have a boss, but you don't have the other benefits of really owning a business. And yes, you can still have a job in your business, but let's just be clear about whether or not um, we've got ourselves a a job or if we have something that is enduring uh, beyond and without us. Sam, I have visions of you in that hospital bed crying, thinking, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Because I can't take pictures. And I'm hoping that, you know, we all have that visual the next time we are like, okay, did I create a job or did I create a business and visualize being sick with that broken leg in that hospital? Like, does the business still run? So getting systems in place and so that it does run without you, without us, without me. And just a great, great reminder. Anything else that you see as a trap that yeah um fall into yeah another one that i think is can be a bit of a wake-up call is uh forgetting to build one of the common traps that i see especially in tech i think this is almost more a tech thing but i've seen it elsewhere too is forgetting to build a business and building a cool project instead and so let me get more specific A business is an entity where we trade value for money. (laughs) This means that like, it's like, let me just say that again. This is an entity where we trade value for money. So to be more specific, in order to have a viable business model, Mm -hmm. we need to be building something for a group of people who have a pain that is painful enough. Mm -hmm. And let's say a top five pain on their list of of Mm -hmm. pains a painful enough that they're willing to pay money to fix it. Right. And there are lots and lots of companies that are building things that do not have viable business models because they've actually solved for a nice to have or like a, a want as opposed to a need. And yes, we can point to, you know, outlier examples where folks have built businesses that way. But that is a really tough way to build and grow a business. And really, you know, before you do anything, you need to have a viable business model. And we often forget that that's what we're setting out to do. No, I love that. Such a great reminder. So I'm currently going through some mentorship right now from a Stacey's Rise project, which I was one of four Canadian women uh, who were selected to do this. So grateful for it. And, you know, like so many of these wonderful, amazing things that you were saying is like, yeah, that's what I just learned. Yes. Like even after 10 years of doing easy daisies and I'm like, you know, when you were talking about, you know, a Warren Buffett's list of, you know, cutting it off at the top five things. Right. And one of my mentors was saying, you know, there's the big boulder theory. I'm like, what? And he's like, you know, you got this beaker and you have these pebbles, sand, rocks everything has to fit in there put the boulders in first and then deal with those big big boulders the big rocks and then everything else comes in later because the most important things are the ones that you need to work on first and it's those big boulders those top five i love that but what you were saying on you know just 
working on your business rather than in it and taking that time so that you can grow it, create the systems so that it can function without you. Love, love, love. Like all these great things, Miranda, that you're saying, like just, uh, I was leaping off your, your last one, which was, oh gosh, golly. See? Brain Getting brain. to build a business and building a cool project instead. Yes. <laughs> what problem are you solving? Like, what is your business model based on? Like, and I, you know, it's like sometimes we get so caught up in projects that we forget about the solution to the problem, the business model that uh, like that we should be revisiting, I believe, and, mm-hmm. and coming back to. And that's why I love your... Um, when you first were talking about, you know, your autopilot uh, feedback of, you know, with your team and also with your customers mm-hmm. and coming back to that, because otherwise we're just getting caught up in, in doing and, and not creating that successful business. Oh my yeah. goodness. I'm learning so much. I'm like, just trying to repeat it all because <laughs> everything you're saying is so good. Now, I want to touch on something because I know you're an expert in all things tech and AI is this new wonderful thing. And I say that in quotations because it is a little scary at the same time, good and bad, but how, how are you thinking about, well, how are all of us thinking about AI and, and what should business owners be thinking about AI for their business? Yes. Yeah. So I think this is, I mean, this is the topic of conversation mm-hmm. in every circle, I think mm-hmm. right now. Um, and having business, it's crazy. It's like even in parenting. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> everywhere. And so, um, so like my advice here is really high level. I know that you can go find lots of clickbaity articles about like how to chat, you know, how to prompt engineer chat GPT, uh, you know, to accelerate marketing efforts or what have you. Um, but my advice I think is a little bit higher level than that. Uh, and so especially, you know, I've had lots of conversations recently where folks, you know, don't even know what it is. Or when I say chat GPT, like that's like, ah, I saw that was a headline, but you know, I haven't figured it out uh, or, you know, I haven't gone and explored that yet. Um, but my advice at a high level is this number one, do not hide your head in the sand. So if you do not know what chat GPT is or what we're talking about, you know, like go like, read up, figure it out, create an account for that, you know, and, and just don't hide from this because we have gone through lots of technical um, change and innovation, uh, you know, depending on, you know, like it's like for all the adults in the room, we've gone through a lot of change and innovation in our lifetimes and nothing has touched how fast this is going to move. And it's just going to feel more and more overwhelming the longer that you keep your head in the sand. So don't do that. Like read up, understand, uh, and just, you know, be part of, of the conversation. To the second thing um, that I want to share, and, and you just alluded to it, is frankly, don't freak out. Now, <laughs> it's like I know that everybody uh, has a moment, myself included, of freaking out. And it's not helping when we're hearing a lot of the people in the industry and who are working on this 
themselves freaking out. Now, I want to remind everyone that what makes good newspaper headlines is sharing when everybody else is freaking out. However, that is not helpful. I could not, so never, like AI aside, I cannot think of a single scenario, real or imagined, where we are served by freaking out. So like whether whether there is like a lion actually running towards us or we're on the deck of the Titanic and it's clearly going down and I'm I'm not saying that that's what's happening, mm-hmm. but just crawling, like curling up into a ball saying, I did not sign up for this. I'm not ready for this. I don't think that this is fair. Like that's not going to help you. No, You're way better good. off to be like, okay, like this is happening. Whether I like it or not, we can debate how we ended up in this exactly. situation later. But for now, like let's it's roll up our leave. sleeves. Right. Let's understand what's going on. Yeah. Let's look around mm-hmm. us and say, okay, like, you know, what is the next best right move for me, for my business? Um, And some of those, especially near-term moves, is I would say, if you've got a team, you should be having conversations with your team about and unlocking your team from using and exploring AI in their current jobs. And this means that you should be talking about it and you should be giving them permission. So it shouldn't be, they shouldn't have to be questioning about, ah, like, like I found this like great way to create ads faster, or I found like, like, I think that I can write better emails to our customers if I'm using chat GPT, but you don't want them to be questioning if they should, or could be doing that on their own. You want to give them permission. You want to be talking to them collectively about what are our boundaries here. So things like you don't want to be feeding uh, customer information or personal information into um, into these tools, that kind of thing. So you need to have some of those controls, but you want to be unlocking your team from ex- like to explore AI. Um, and the next piece of that is really starting with your existing tools would be my next response to like, how do I think about AI in my business, recognize that everything is changing right now and everything is evolving. So one of the lowest, easiest, like lowest hanging fruits is just know what tools that you're using today in your business and pay attention for when those tools are unlocking new AI features. And so that could be your marketing team is using Photoshop. Well, Photoshop's got all sorts of cool stuff that they're doing now. Um, Canva's got great stuff that they're doing now. Like if you're got technical teams, Jira's got like all sorts of like AI integrated into those tools now. And that is true about almost every major software platform. They've either already launched AI tools or they're actively working on it. Brilliant. And, and so, yeah, so it's a really easy thing, which is that if you and your teams are using tools to run your business today, that is going to be the most logical way to start to dip your toe into this world of how can we do what we're doing already better and faster. And that's going to prevent you from sort of having to go off into the like black hole that is like, what are the AI tools available? Just focus on what you're doing now. And the third one to that comment Mm -hmm. is we don't want to pivot our business, which means that we don't want everybody to be getting excited and thinking about, oh, like now we should do something totally different or better or whatever, because then we're going to go back to like the story that I told about when we got really excited about running paid ads (laughs) in our business and everybody kind of turned and looked at that instead of all of the existing really great work that we were already doing in marketing. And then as a result, in addition to just not having a great return on ad spend with those that 
marketing spend is yeah. we'd actually distracted half the business and yeah. stopped doing what we were there to do. So right. we don't want to do that in our business. Um, yeah. If we want to innovate and build and do something creative and new with AI, carve off a small team to kind of go and focus on that and don't distract the rest of your business. I love it. Yeah. Don't put all your eggs in that one basket and, but slowly see where it can be better and faster and, and let it trickle in, in those spots. I am love it. So good. So many things. I'm like making these mental checklists in my head and trying to cut it off at five at the same time. Now, I respect your time, Miranda, and I'm going to end on these really quick rapid fire questions because although my podcast is called Elaine's Kitchen Table, where we, we talk how to create business and, and do business because all my small businesses started off our kitchen table. After my stroke, I re, kind of rebranded to create better and it is about creating better in, in these four aspects. So I'm going to ask you at the top of your mind First thing that comes to your mind, what is a quick tip that you have for each of these four things? Okay, so how do we create better business, health, family, and self? So I'm going to start with better business. Top tip on the top of your brain. Yeah, setting up those business feedback loops so that you are listening on autopilot. Love it. Create better health Um, for you. Yeah, setting up the system that works. And for me, if there's not a human at the gym waiting for me to also be at the gym, I don't go. So whether that's a trainer or a workout buddy, I I need to game myself, but that's important. (laughs) So some type of accountability partner that you have to show up. I Mm -hmm. love that. I am the same. I will not go because there's no one there. (laughs) And why should I? (laughs) I totally get it. Uh, Create better family. Yeah, same thing, which is like, what are the drum beats? And with family, that looks like tradition. So what are the things that may be small, but if we do them, especially with kids um, year after year, they become like, that's what home feels like. And that's where memories are formed. So a quick one for me, um, as a family, when we write all of our Christmas cards, we write a Christmas card to ourselves every year where we talk about the highs and lows of the year. And so then the next year when we pull out everything to decorate for Christmas, you uh, it, and I know that you love Christmas, um, then we actually take time to sort of read through prior years what our highs and lows were as a family. And that's oh a really simple goodness. thing, but it's such a beautiful tradition. I love that. That is such a great tradition. And and you can like, if you, if Christmas isn't your thing, you could do it at your birthday. If birthday isn't your thing, do it at New Year's. Yeah. I love yeah. that. So good. Last one, how to create better self. Mm, yeah. I've learned that I have to give myself the very best hours of the day for whatever my very best like work is. And so I am best first thing in the morning. And so I try to get up before the house does and sit down with coffee and write um, and not focus on work because the work and the to-do lists can come after. Uh, But I give my very best uh, time to my best work. So that's how I do that. So love that. Miranda, you are awesome. Inspiring. I just just amazing. And I just want to thank you for spending this time with us and my listeners. And we are so grateful. I learned so much. I know that uh, our listeners are probably taking copious notes, but if someone wanted to reach out and find you, where would they go? Yeah. MirandaLevers.com. Drop a note, say hi, or on Instagram, uh, also under my name. I love it. And we will have all of these contacts in our show notes as well. Miranda, thank you with all my heart. I I cannot wait to see you in person again and for our paths across. 
Thank you. This was lovely. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. I also love hearing from you. So please let us know what you thought of this uh, episode. And I know that you are going to take action on one of these many amazing things that Miranda has shared with us. So thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. Miranda, you are amazing and so grateful for you. And we will talk to you all soon. Thank you for joining us. Bye for now.